Hello and welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. I'm Eric, Discipleship Pastor here at New Life Lutheran Church. Today on the podcast, we hear our sermon from Christmas Eve, where Pastor Ben shares the story of Jesus' birth and the greatest gift that God has ever given us. If you want to keep up with our podcasts online, you can find it at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe to it on Spotify, Google Music, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Podbean. Our scripture for today is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinus was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. Thanks for listening. Let's get growing. Well, as we entered into this season of Advent, which is the looking forward to not only Christ coming the second time, but looking forward to his coming the first time, we started a sermon series called Christmas Traditions. And as we navigated the Gospel of Luke, we started realizing that there are some things that happened way back then that still pop up in our culture and still pop up in our daily lives each and every Christmas. See, the second week, we started talking about Christmas cards. And Christmas cards are something you've probably received already or you've probably sent already or they're sitting on the table waiting to be sent when you can get it all done and, and kind of calm down and get those things accomplished. But Christmas cards are beautiful, right? You get the picture of somebody. You get a message from somebody. And what you're trying to do when you send a Christmas card is you're trying to invite people into your story. You're trying to show them how you look a little bit different than last year or your kids have grown. You're trying to tell them about all the interesting things that have happened to you this year. And you're trying to invite them into what has God has done in your life. Well, when you send them, that's what you're trying to do. But also when you receive them, that person is trying to invite you into their story. And we saw in Luke how God has used messengers all throughout time to invite people into his story. 
Well, the next week, Pastor Eric took over and he talked about a Christmas tradition that you have experienced. There's no doubt, but you didn't like it a lot. And I'm talking about Hallmark. No, I'm just kidding. For a guy, Hallmark movies are pretty much the worst tradition that Christmas can bring. But there is one other tradition that I think we can all agree on. It's Christmas stress. Because during this season, there's a lot of things that we have to navigate that bring us stress. The kids are home. That can be a joy and a stress. Families in town, that can be a joy and a stress. Buying presents, making sure everyone gets what they want, gets to experience the traditions and movies and TV shows and sing the songs that they want. That can just be stressful, can it? And we engage with Mary, who found out her trajectory of life, how she thought her life was going to go, took a rapid U-turn. And everything she had planned had changed. And in that moment, she experienced incredible stress. Well, yesterday, Pastor Eric talked about one of his favorite Christmas traditions, which is spending time with family and telling stories. And we saw in the gospel reading how Mary, when she found out she was pregnant, went to spend time with a family member named Elizabeth. And they shared their stories and they shared their life together. And Pastor Eric said his favorite thing at Christmas is to play cards with his family and then share stories about the family. Stories that if they're told enough will go on for century after century after century and become Anderson folklore as people internalize these stories. Well, today, this evening, I get to talk about... My favorite Christmas tradition. In fact, I believe if you're honest, it's yours too, isn't it? Now, in a moment, I'm going to have us all just say it out loud, nice and bold, nice and proud, because it's just the truth. But before I do that, so you're feeling comfortable, I'm going to kind of clue you in, okay? I'm going to clue you in on the phrase and the words that we are going to say, so we're all on the same page. I don't want you to feel awkward when you say something different than the person next to you. Okay, just kind of clue you in. This word, of course, is going to start with the three letters P-R-E. It can come before Christmas Eve. It can come on Christmas Eve. It can come on Christmas Day. It can come later on the week. Wrapped up nicely, you can find it under the tree. You guys tracking with me? Everyone's tracking with me? So I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to say the best Christmas tradition is, and we're all going to say that. Okay, you guys ready? Okay, the best Christmas tradition is... Precious nieces and nephews. You shallow group of people. Did you all say presents? I'm just messing with you. Of course, presents is the best part of Christmas because the best part of Christmas was that first present that keeps bringing life to the world. And because of that, we exchange presents, don't we? Because of that response, we give presents to each other. And giving presents and receiving presents is by far my favorite thing and probably your favorite thing about Christmas. Because when you give a kid that perfect gift, man, they light up. When they tear into that box or some of the more neat ones, pull them apart carefully. But they see that toy, they see that book, or they see that game, they're just filled with joy. But it's not limited to kids either. When you receive that gift as an adult where someone thought of you when they bought it. And it's one of those things that's maybe it's too expensive or you just couldn't justify it on your budget. It's one of those things you've always wanted, but you thought, yeah, I have bills to pay. I have a mortgage to pay. But when they get it for you, doesn't it still bring you that amazing joy? I can't believe I have this. I've always wanted this, even though I'm 30, 40, 50, 90. doesn't matter because they thought of me and they knew what I wanted and they got it for me. 
And even giving gifts like that is the best part of Christmas. When you think of somebody, when you buy them the thing that they wouldn't buy themselves and they open it and you see that sense of joy, even on an adult, it's just the best part of Christmas. It's the best part of Christmas because this whole story, this whole conversation started with a gift. So this evening, let's take a look at what Luke has to say about this gift. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Crywinius was governor of Syria. Now, as Luke is writing this, I just have to say, he doesn't come off with a strong start, does he? If this was a movie, if this was a script, if this was a novel, you're already kind of falling asleep right away in the opening paragraph. I mean, come on, Luke, let's start out strong. Put some action there. Put a love story in there. Put something that's going to draw my attention. But the truth is this. Luke was not trying to write a novel. Luke was not trying to write a movie. He was simply trying to record history so that you knew what he wrote was true. So he starts off his biography by writing the boring and mundane details of this piece of history. And so right away he talks about this guy named Emperor Augustus. See, Emperor Augustus you can find in other historical narratives. And Emperor Augustus, you've probably heard of him already, not just in the Christmas story, but he used to be called Octavian. But in 27 BC, the Roman Senate got together and they wanted to honor him, so they changed his name from Octavian to Augustus, which means exalted one. And they called him that because in Rome, Caesar, the emperor, was viewed as a god that lived among them. Well, Augustus did what a lot of politicians, what a lot of kings do. He wanted to tax the people. In order to do that, he had to register the whole known world, which in that point in time, Rome was pretty much in control of everything. So of all their awareness of where all the people lived, they were going to have everyone counted. And the best way to do that was to send them back to their hometown. So everyone back, went back to their hometown so that Rome would know who everyone was and where everyone was. So they could make sure that they squeezed out every penny, every dollar from the people in that day so they could fortify their armies and stay in control. But something happened. In 4 BC, after this emperor put this dictate into the land, he dies. But luckily for him, maybe not so luckily for him, in 6 BC, this governor picks up the task. And in 6 BC, this registration goes into effect as we see history unfold. And it's in that moment that something amazing happens. All went to their hometowns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. You see, Joseph went to Bethlehem. And the reason he went to Bethlehem is the same reason everyone else went to their hometowns because Rome was ruthless. And if you did not go, you were not going to survive. And so as no matter how inconvenient it was, Joseph got up and unwittingly 
Caesar puts into play a storyline that little did he know that people would be talking about for centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries. So Joseph goes to Bethlehem because he has a very famous relative who was born in Bethlehem, King David. I mean, how cool is that? His, his lineage came through King David. So he goes to Bethlehem to obey the Romans because he didn't want to get thrown in jail. He didn't want to get killed off. But he had someone else with him. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. You see, in that day, if you were engaged, that was a legally binding contract. And so Joseph, who was engaged to Mary, had to bring her with because she had to be registered too as part of his family. See, typically, their engagement lasted nine months to a year because that was a proving ground, not to see if they're compatible, but to see if the woman had been faithful. And Mary, impregnated by the Holy Spirit, goes with Joseph on this journey. A journey that's 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which seems like nothing to us because we would just jump in our car and we'd drive to the suburbs and go to the mall and that's about 90 miles. It doesn't really impact us too much. We would drive there in the morning and go later. But in this day, 90 miles was either walked or you're riding on some sort of animal and you're going through wasteland and you're going in places where possibly robbers would come and try to take advantage of you. 90 miles was a big deal. And 90 miles is a big deal when you're pregnant, no matter what you're riding in. But when they arrived, this is what happened. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So Mary and Joseph, they make their trip They show up to Bethlehem, and it's so close to due date that it happens. Their son joins them. And as we see in the narrative, it wasn't an ideal situation. They're not in the hospital. There's no doctors. They end up in an unsterile stable, a place where animals were or a place where animals used to be. And what has struck me this year as I thought about this is Joseph's whole family should have been in Bethlehem too. See, the registration forced his entire lineage back to Bethlehem. But in the story, we see no family. So we have no hospital. We have no epidurals. It's not a sterile situation. And there's no mother-in-law. There's no father-in-law caring for them. It's just them in this lowly place for the birth of a king. And so Mary, being a good mother swaddles the child and lays him in the only thing that could possibly hold him, the only thing that could comfort him, a manger, a trough for feeding the animals. But Mary and Joseph are not the only people in this storyline this evening. We also run into some other characters too. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then the angel of the Lord stood before them And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. See, once again, Luke talks about the details. He says there were shepherds in that area, which means they had sheep. They were doing their job. 
verifiable information that you could go back. You could look through history. People who read this could look and say, were there actual shepherds there? And the answer is yes. But the shepherds have a surprise visitor and an angel shows up and says they are terrified, which is the correct response when you see an angel, by the way. Because that's how I'd feel and that's how you would feel. If an angel showed up, you would be terrified. But the angel had a message. Do not be afraid. For see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. So the angel comes with the message. says, you need to go to Bethlehem. You need to go to the city of David and find this child. And when you show up, there's going to be a lot of things that are normal about this child. He's going to be crying. He's going to be swaddled. The mom cares for him. The mom's going to protect him. But there's going to be something strange, something different, something that sets this child apart. You're going to find him in a manger, which means you're going to find him in a stable. You're going to find him in a place reserved for animals. So this is what the shepherds did. And suddenly there was a heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. See, before they left, this whole crowd of angels shows up and offers them a message, a message for all of us, that when this child shows up, peace will come. Peace will be provided, something we all want. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. So the shepherds listened, and they probably thought they were a little bit crazy, probably as crazy as you would think if you experienced an angel or thought you had experienced an angel. But the angels gave specifics, and so they went. They went to the city of David. They went to Bethlehem, and they looked for a child, and they listened for the crying, and they went to the stables because that's the place where a manger would be. And they ran into the child, just as the angel said, swaddled and in a manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds told them. See, their response to what the angels said was to go. But their belief was verified when they saw what the angels had predicted. There was a child swaddled in a manger. And they believed And they were so amazed that they went and they told everyone. So here's my question for you this evening. Do you believe? I mean, if you didn't, I would understand. We're talking about an 80-year-old Elizabeth who gave birth. We're talking about a, a virgin. We're talking about angels. We're talking about a child who's supposed to be God in flesh. I mean, it seems so unbelievable. We're talking about a person who grew up and taught and lived a perfect life, who went to the cross and died and then rose again. How can that possibly be true? So if you're skeptical in the room, I understand. It makes sense to be skeptical. But isn't there something within you that wants to believe? Isn't there something within you that hopes the story is true? That hopes that God cared for you so much that he showed up physically? That he died on the cross so that anything 
you have done wrong can be taken from you. So you can have eternity in heaven. Isn't that something you want to believe? You see, Luke, who wrote this story, who wrote this piece of history, who wrote down this narrative, and all the mundane things, knew something that I want you to learn tonight. See, he was very aware, after all of his research, that this statement was true. That gifts only become gifts when they're open. You see, Luke the skeptic, Luke the doctor, Luke the man of science had heard rumors about this Christ. And so he decided that he was going to verify it for himself. You see, it seems so good to be true. It seems so unbelievable. But in his heart, he wanted it to be true. In his heart, he hoped it would be true. So he went to verify it for himself. And we see that he looked at the prophecies. Prophecies made 500 750, a thousand years before Christ showed up. Prophecies that said he'd be born in Bethlehem. And Luke started to be convinced. And he looked at the prophecies, all the prophecies of the Messiah, and he thought, could it be? Could something so unbelievable be true? So he interacted with the disciples, and he heard their stories, and he heard the early Christian stories. He heard stories of people who had seen the risen Christ because he had to know if it was true. He had to know. And then he interacted with the mother of Christ. And he learned all the mundane details of a birth of a little boy. And he began to write. He began to write a story. A story of exciting things. A story of unbelievable things. And even a story of the mundane historical things. That allowed people not only in that day, but in today, to look to check, to verify the history, to see if these locations exist, to see if this story, this unbelievable story, might be true. So this Christmas season, this gift for you will not become a gift until you open it up. So if you're a believer, grab tight to that gift this Christmas season. If you're on the fence and you're trying to figure it out and someone invited you and you just showed up because it's Christmas, I'm glad you're here. But I hope as you hold that present in your hand that you take the time to unwrap it. Take the time to look at Luke's gospel. Go ahead, check it. Check the history. Look into it. Because if this unbelievable truth is actually real, isn't it worth some time? Isn't it worth unwrapping Isn't it worth pulling off the paper, taking off the bow, and seeing what's inside? A little boy, born in Bethlehem, destined to die for your sins, so that you could have eternal life.